Welcome, everyone. It is an exciting week on Scale Up with Nick Bradley, with my guest today being the awesome Todd Herman. Now, Todd is a peak performance coach for over 20 years for Olympic athletes, public figures, leaders, and entrepreneurs. He is also an international speaker on topics of performance, strategy, mindset, and execution. His programs are delivered annually to over 200,000 professionals in 73 countries. Todd is also the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. And I have to say, it is one of my favorite books of all time, particularly when you're trying to just work things out and why you react to certain situations in the way you do and why sometimes it's good to have an alter ego, uh, a Clark Kent to Superman, if you will, just to be able to embrace things in the best way you possibly can. So this interview with him explores identity to a very, very deep level. In fact, I don't think I have discussed this topic in this much detail on the show before. We also talk about the state of flow a lot, and this is where obviously you are trying to get into your zone of genius, which some of you might have already heard or read about before. Well, good news in this conversation, boy, oh boy, do we go deep into it. In fact, I think I bring Todd back to the topic of flow multiple times just because I am fascinated with it. I remember my alter ego that I used in sport, and I said, wait a second, why can't I just use the same thing here? And so I built out Super Richard. So I'm sure you're going to absolutely love and relate to today's topic. I know that I did in bucket loads. Todd is just a very, very engaging guy. So jump in with us and we're going to be talking about Todd's childhood, how this influenced his athleticism, how he eventually discovered the world of coaching and mentoring and made him known as being the the training superstar. As hinted at earlier, we discussed the different states of flow and how to achieve them. We therefore asked the question, can flow be activated on call? So do look forward to our discussion on that. We briefly discussed the importance of enjoyment and playfulness, and yes, how that applies to everyone, no matter what age we are in our lives. And of course, it wouldn't be an interview with Todd Herman if we didn't discuss identity to a whole new next level. I strongly encourage you to stick around for that because in this episode, there are a few mic drop moments. I didn't have a bunch of letters behind my name. I didn't have three best-selling books. All these stupid rules I had in my head about you know, how people were gonna judge whether or not I had the authority to even talk about this subject matter. And, but when I put that on, Super Richard never had those thoughts. So get ready, everybody. Welcome to scale up your identity, scale up your mindset. The next 50 minutes or so is awesome. So welcome to the show, Todd Hill. Hey, everybody, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for this week. I'm delighted to say that I have a person on the show who I've been wanting to meet for some time because As you all know, I talk about identity a lot. I talk about who you need to become and why that matters, both in success in business and in life. And I've got the guy on today who's kind of written the book about it, (laughs) something like that anyway. Uh, Todd Herman, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. I mean, this is is right in my wheelhouse. And uh, we've already been bantering about the uh, mutual respect of Canadians and Aussies. So um, Yeah, there's no BS in this no. conversation so we can play around. And, yeah, and I've got to be honest, before we pressed 
record today, you know, Todd's come straight in because I've got a black eye at the moment and he's kind of already gone straight in with a jugular uh, <laughs> saying that my wife's, you know, you know, domestic violence and all that stuff. We're joking. We're all joking. We're joking. But we're Australians. We're just mucking around. Um, listen, Todd, I mean, great to have you on, as I said beforehand. Um, let's just get to know you a little bit more if we can. So, sure. you know, you've been a performance coach and you've worked with some pretty impressive people over the last two decades. How did you get into that? So I was, I, well, I grew up on a farm and ranch in Western Canada, middle of literally one of those middle of nowhere people. And um, only thing to do was either work on the farm or play sports with my two older brothers, which um, helped me develop into a, a pretty good athlete. And, and that led to me getting some football scholarships. I was also a nationally ranked badminton player, which never surprises people because of course, badminton. you know, American, American football and badminton, those two always go together. Right. There's a degree and, of finesse, uh, which is very similar between the two sports, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Same attitude works on both, uh, fields and court. I'm with you. And, uh, so long story, uh, but I was never physically gifted. I'm not like six foot four, 245 pounds or anything like that. But, um, I had, uh, <laughs> I was going to say accidentally, but wasn't really act that accidental. When I was in uh, the ninth grade, I was competing in a volleyball tournament in the, another middle of nowhere town in Saskatchewan, Canada. Yeah. And um, every time I'd go up to block this opponent's um, spike, he would flick out his foot and try to kick me in the groin and did it once. And I thought, oh, maybe that was just a, you know, accident. Did it again a second time. And I sort of leaned through the net and said, do it again. And you're going to be on the floor. And he did kick me in the, you know, you know where, and I reached to the net, grabbed him by his shirt and pulled him in and, uh, clocked him twice and he fell to the ground. And then I got kicked out of the tournament. Uh, apparently fighting <laughs> in volleyball isn't a popular thing. And so I could imagine that. <laughs> yeah. So one of my first mentors, um, Grant Henderson, who was my teacher in this small little rural school that I was in, it was like a hero to me. He, um, after he berated me, he did the best thing that any good coach or leader would do. You never leave someone in the same place that you found them. He gave me a tool or a resource, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi gives Luke Skywalker the lightsaber to help him, you know, enter the cave and, you know, battle the demons. So he gave me this book, told me to go to the library and pick it up. And I, and I did, and it was basically around like personal leadership, but right. it was actually not a very good book, but the author mentioned sort of mental game or, or mindset really is what he said. And I was like, oh, well, what's that? And so I just sort of fell into this sort of black hole of like learning more about the mind and everything. And, and from what I was learning, I'm also, I'm dyslexic and I'm ADD. So for me back then, I wasn't even diagnosed yet. Uh, I didn't get diagnosed for- Let's dyslexia. do a time check here. What was your age at this point, approximately? I was in ninth grade. So I was like 13. 13, okay, got it. Yeah. And um, so I started reading all these books on mindset. And, and what it did was it allowed me to um, actually discover- for me, not that they said it explicitly in the book, but I discovered how to get into the zone in the flow state. And so when I played, it's actually what got me my scholarships because, you know, like I said, I wasn't physically gifted, but every single game I played in football, I always got into the zone. And so when you're playing in that flow state in that zone, all of your capabilities get to come out of you onto that court or onto that field, whatever it is. And when I got done, so long story short, when I got done playing college football, um, I started volunteering at a high school with uh, some of the football kids defensive side. And I'd spend more time. I'm like, listen, you don't need to do more cone drills. You don't need to do more wind sprints. 
you know, that's not going to help you with your performance in the game. Um, really, you're just missing, like you don't have a good routine um, in your preparation skills. Um, you don't actually set, you know, even just micro goals for yourself. All these things that I had done and these kids started getting great results, not even actually just on the field, but actually in the classroom. Cause I would actually teach them as well about, you know, what I'd learned about how the mind works and stuff. Um, and so parents started asking me if I could mentor their sons and daughters. This is 1997, by the way. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> not this wasn't so a business. So you're like one of the old, the old guard of this type of stuff, right? Cause I mean, back then oh, I imagine think to, the idea of was coaching nobody. and mentoring wasn't really an industry in the way that we there think was about no it now. Industry. Yeah. There's no industry. Yeah. I've been around it since the beginning. Um, so, um, yeah, they started asking me if I could mentor their sons and daughters. And again, I was like, yeah, sure. And then they were like waiting for the shoe to drop, so to speak. And I'm like, they're like, okay, well how much? And I was like, how about 75 bucks for three sessions? And that was my price point for 97, 98 and most of 99. Um, which when you're that cheap, I had a lot of demand for me which got me a lot of reps. I got to see really what um, teen athletes who were, you know, the better of the best in their different sports, what their issues were, allowed me to develop really good, strong training programs. And um, I sort of grew and scaled what was the peak athlete, uh, that company by licensing a lot of my material um, to sports organizations around the world. So like the Danish Olympic team, the German soccer federation, Real Madrid. I went in and worked with Real Madrid for many years, New York Rangers and, and on and on. But the real thing that I discovered through the process of, of, you know, so I started with the teenagers, but then I started getting into working with pro athletes and Olympic athletes. Um, and this common thread started kind of revealing itself to, to me that, they would bring up things like, oh, I've got this performance identity that I step into, or I've got this, you know, secret identity that I have, or I've got this name, or I've got an alter. They would all kind of talk with this idea of alter egos. And for me, it's exactly what I did when I played football and when I played um, Let's, badminton. Um, we can kind of- yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pause there because I wanted yeah. to hear that, that story play out a bit, but now we're going to jump back and I'm going to interject. Yeah. Flow state right? Which I'm sure is going to become part of this piece you're about to get into in terms of identity anyway. Yeah. A lot of people would literally kill to, to understand how you do that. Now I've been there a few times and I can remember the times where everything clicks and quite often it was on the sporting field. You know, I play yeah. a game, it might be a big game. I turn up and I just play in a way where everything just clicks. It all works. To learn that or even to understand or appreciate that as a 13, 14 year old is pretty damn incredible. Did you teach that yourself? Was that your own self-awareness to get to that? Or did you have other help around the edges? I'm just curious about that particular point where you discover that and how you discovered it. No, it was just me. There was no one else that was around. I mean, you're going to- Is there a gift in that? I mean, do you think now when you look back in hindsight, because that's not, I mean, you might might tell me the opposite that actually it's more common than I maybe appreciate, but a lot of people- What's more common? The idea of being able to get into that state of flow as you described it. Well, A, it's, it's um, people think of it as a mystical place to get to, and it's really not. I mean, there are certain dominoes that if you drop them, the likelihood, because you can't expect it, the moment you try to expect anything, <laughs> okay. well, that you can't get to it um, because expectations that. is one of the um, you know pitfalls of ambitious you know, top achieving, high achieving people is the expectation of some sort of outcome. So if I expect to get into 
um, uh, the flow state. I actually do have a healthy expectation of getting into it now, but that's because I've got so many years of experience with it. Well, you've done the reps, haven't almost, you, as well? And you've and you've probably put those, you've trained those reps into other people to understand the triggers right. or whatever that's you right. would call it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, um, to your to your point. Well, actually, you don't want to go to your question because I sort of cut you off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no. There, well, the, the, the question, the question. I mean, firstly, you kind of demystified the point I was probably making more mystical than it is. Yeah. The idea that again, when I when I've spoken to and I've I've met you know maybe certainly not as many of the the pro athletes athletes as you have, but certainly people who have excelled in certain areas. Yeah. And a lot of them find it difficult to turn that that sort of dial on, right? And I'm just curious about, we'll probably get into this as we go through the conversation anyway. I'm just curious about how you did that. Um, got into flow state. Yeah. So, well, how I got into it, and then I'll talk about how I discovered it. So um, number one was an understanding of the biology of the body. So the one thing that really set us apart in the peak athlete world, again, very early in this coaching world, and even because I was sort of lumped in the idea of sports psychology, which really wasn't what, we're, what our angle was, everyone in that space was highly indexing towards the psychological game, as opposed to we always approached it as a holistic. You've got a human person in psychology plays a little bit of the part or yep. the mindset, but there's biology, there's kinesiology, there's all these other systems and disciplines that when you pull back and you look at all of them and how they can work together, now I'm increasing the likelihood of releasing the capabilities of the athlete. Um, so for me, start of biology. So right here in the jaw is um, a large bundle of nerves that goes and extends up right behind your skull. And so you literally cannot get into a flow state or zone if you have a clenched jaw. You can't. Right. So if I'm straight, if I'm like, you can't. <laughs> right. So, so grit and bear it. Like, so there's all these kind of like this vernacular and some of these sayings that are in the world of sport that I laugh at that are some of the most popular ones out there. And they literally run counter to helping someone achieve their personal bests. So this idea so, of tensing your body up, you know, like yeah. that's, a, that, that's probably the opposite of what you should be doing to be able to get into yeah. that place. So elasticity, flexibility, adaptability, you know, mm -hmm. all of these terms, thinking about it in the jaw. So now pull back a little bit and any, anyone that's probably listening is very famous or at least, sorry, not famous, but familiar with uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah. So Michael Jordan's most um, prolific photos are of him flying through the air with his jaw open and his tongue out. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Now he wasn't doing that intentionally because it got him into the flow. A lot of athletes, they sort of just develop that as an unconscious level because it helps get them to where they want to um, fundamentally go in the process of the game, which is just relaxed and free and um, agile. So a relaxed jaw is, um, is, is paramount in the, in okay. the whole domino. And I've of, never, uh, I've never heard that expressed before Todd. So that's yeah. why, I, that's why my mouth is like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you, you have to practice that because so many people are, well, even nose breathing, right? Like nose breathing is su super important to, to activate the uh, um, or to deactivate cortisol inside the body. It's um, activates the parasympathetic uh, nervous system. So it relaxes you. 
But when people breathe through the nose, what they'll do is they'll close their mouth and, you know, a closed mouth increases the likelihood of your teeth touching together then. And when your teeth are touching, that means that this bundle of nerves is, is tightened up as well. So just understanding um, that part of things is you're literally now <laughs> probably wow. halfway to the equation. So, the, so the, the actual science behind this and to your point, the physiology behind this is such a big part of it as opposed to just how you're thinking or. Yeah, man. Like, you know, I've been, you know, I, I built the world's largest peak performance and mental game coaching company before I sold it. Like we, I've, we've impacted millions of athletes around the world. And um, I, and now here's, here's a company that literally sells sort of mental game or inner game is what we actually called it. We didn't really yeah. call it mental game that much, but it, inner game stuff. And the, the precognitive sort of um, frame that people would think is, okay, well, it's all mindset stuff. And it's, and it's like, no, like, listen, it's actually the stuff outside. I want to prevent most people from making it a mindset issue because the moment it becomes a mindset issue for the listener, what do you automatically assume? damn it. It's hard because the mindset is still, the mind is such still such a mystical place for people. And so I don't want to put that burden on people's shoulders because a lot of times the solutions to some of the issues that people are uh, challenged by are physiological or they're environmental. People have a massive underappreciation for how much your environment, whether it's the social environment or just your actual environment, the place that you're working in, is shaping your results. It is the most under-indexed part of this sort of success equation that I see out there. And, you know, we've seen it millions of times with other people. You pull them out of one situation, put them into another situation, and now they thrive. You put an amazing performer in this situation into a new situation and they become average. Well, that's because the system that they're operating inside of is not conducive to them being very successful. So that's what we always looked at things through was just many different lenses um, of helping people perform. And how did you, I mean, again, I'm just, I always like to get into the detail of this. Yeah. Clearly this is something that built over time. You know, you've, this is your life's work, right? So how did you start to discover these different elements? Was it, was it experimenting with different people you were with your environment yourself or personally with you? Three big things. Okay. Yeah. There's three big things. One, um, definitely my upbringing, um, you know, simple farm and ranch lifestyle. There's an element of practicality that's there. I was, uh, very fortunate to be growing up inside of nature. And what I mean is, you know, our family's business involved nature. In fact, there are very, very few, you know, entrepreneurial businesses that get affected that much by the world that's you know, you're living inside of, you know, the rainfall or the sun and all that. So you learn, you learn so much about the cycle of life by, you know, being a farm kid. And also nature is the ultimate um, meta frame on judging whether or not something is true or not. Because if something doesn't exist in nature, which is reality, how can, like, People are making some massive leaps in the way that they think that human human beings operate with, um, you know, some different paradigms that they give people because in nature, there's nothing that is ever good or bad. There's um, there's a band of maybe healthy and then it can get to toxic and then there can be hypo where 
you know, water, for example, water is good until you're floating in the middle of the ocean. And then the last thing you want is water, right? So I'm saying all this because nature was such a good teacher for me in that it helped me really stay grounded in the practical frame of, you know, helping people in this kind of mystical place of performance. I had, I had this good teacher, I think that way. So that's I'll take it just also on that and we'll come into the other two points as well, but there are some natural laws that you learn that sometimes I see out there. We as humans try to not lean into or not appreciate. You see what I mean yeah. by that? So, you know, nature by its sheer perspective is a little bit chaotic, right? You yeah. know, things form, but they form in a way which it kind of works in, in a sort of symbiosis way. But sometimes yeah. as humans, we try and make things too structured or too perfect or put things yes. in boxes. Yeah. So like, I, again, I'm just listening to what you're saying and trying to correlate that back to kind of now why if you want to be in flow state, there has to be a degree of just being yeah. and allowing and yeah. letting go to some extent. Otherwise, if you try and control it, it's not going to, you're never going to realize that. Yeah. And then, and then, but you can also start to, cause you take that idea and then yeah. you start to over index on it and then you become a wet noodle right? You become too relaxed. So there is this, you know, fantastic sort of merging of, you know, um, sort of stress, like the stress or the tension of the event or the experience and giving yourself up to it in some way. But there's a meeting that's there of those two, those two um, correlates. Okay, that makes, that makes sense. Okay. Point, and, point two. Yeah. And then um, the second one was mentorship. Okay. And I am a big believer in being an apprentice and being, a, um, and having mentors. I think it's the least appreciated, um, part of being successful in anything. Um, most of the times it's because of our ego, we want to go and prove it and go and do it on our own. And we fall into this really, I mean, that was a big part of maybe some of my equation as Same a youngster is proving other people <laughs> wrong in some way. Yeah. But Pride um, coming into play. And yeah, I get that. Yeah. And so how I fell into mentorship though, was um, my first most important mentor in the, in the sort of mental game world was a byproduct of, I was reading all these other books around, you know, um, psychology and, um, you know, mindset or, you know, any of those topics, leadership even. And most of it just didn't make sense. It was like, you know, I played sport at a, at a good level. And if I tried to do any of these things that they're talking about in these books, I'd be thinking way too much out there. And that's the enemy of the athlete. How can I get into flow state at flow state? If my, you know, frontal lobe is super active and it just seemed like a lot of frankly bullshit to me. It's that kind of practical farm kid side. I'm like this, you know, we got a saying on the farm, you know, that dog won't hunt. And I'd find a lot of ideas. That I'm like, Oh, that dog won't hunt. Like that won't work. And then I came across this book called Coaching the Mental Game by Harvey Dorfman. Yeah. And it made so much sense. It was so practical. And he's known as the Yoda of baseball, worked with all the superstars in Major League Baseball. And I cold outreach to him. I uh, phoned him, left him a voicemail and said, uh, hey, Harvey, I'm like two and a half, three years into this world of um, the inner game and, and performance. And I know enough to know that I don't know enough. And um, yours is the only stuff that makes sense to me. And so I'm sure you probably have another book in you and I'd love to come down and volunteer and just be like your assistant for a little while, if I could, no expectation. Um, and so he called me back two days later and this is the um, end of 99. 
And um, he said, uh, you don't want to live with me, kid, do you? <laughs> and I lied to him. And I said, I had an aunt and uncle who lived in North Carolina where he was at the time and um, said I could stay with them, which they didn't exist. And he's like, okay, so you come down, maybe spend a couple of weeks and I'll show you the ropes or whatever. And I went and stayed at a motel six, not too far from him. And it was uh, $28 and 50 cents a night. Did he ever find um, and, out or you told him later? No, he never found out. Never did. I was terrified <laughs> that he was going to find out. Oh God. Because uh, I really didn't want to burden him with like saying, you know what? Because I knew we were going to end up getting along, but I didn't want to burden him with that. Fair and enough. I uh, maxed out my Scotiabank Visa credit card down there. Because while I was busy, I was still not charging very much. In fact, my Quicken taxes at the end of the year of 97, 98, 99, I averaged $8.56 an hour. That's what I was wow. averaging as my income. But back to what but, you said before, um, you're getting the reps in, I take it at this point. I'm getting the reps having... in. And you know what, man? I was loving what I was doing. I was working with young kids in sport. Like, I mean, I, that's what I grew up inside of. And I was, you know, helping them, you know, pursue their dreams in whatever little fashion I could help them with. So anyways, I went and stayed with Harvey and um, I was with him for 33 days. And I got to see very quickly because all of this is during the baseball off season in January now of 2000, all these athletes are making their annual pilgrimage to see um, Harvey before the season starts. And they'd spend a full day with him. And these are professional major league baseball players. Roger Clemens. Oh, wow. Pettit. Like I'm talking, no, he's like, no, I know. I mean, yeah, I get it. No, and I'm, you know, yeah. being from Australia, you'd probably think I've got no idea, but I know that name. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, Roger Clemens is, you know, one yeah. of the top three greatest baseball pitchers of all time. Um, so anyways, I, he invited me to, uh, that was the eighth day was when Roger came in and I got to sit there because uh, Harvey invited me in and Roger said it was okay. Um, and I was like, oh, all of my preconceived notions as to what he would be challenged by isn't. It actually looked more like life coaching, frankly, about, and this is just a rough number, but 80% of their challenges were all off the field stuff that would impact their game somehow. So I started, my wheels just started spinning. What a, maybe, but just to be context, for context here, we're talking more emotional driven things that were causing maybe distraction. Relationships, yeah. you know, husband, wife stuff, right? Okay, kids, parents. Um, and that stuff, just just on that again, because we'll go into it, but that stuff, if you don't address it, even though you think you're addressing it, and now I'm talking more wider than Roger, yeah, that, that has an impact, yeah, from your- Massively, massively. So that was my big insight. I was like, oh, this is, because I just started, because I wasn't involved in the conversation, I could just sit back and observe. Yeah. And you know, this is maybe one of my own personal superpowers, but because of my dyslexia and ADHD, my brain sort of, I, my brain only thinks in pictures. I don't think in words. That's just how my brain is mm -hmm. structured. And, and so because I think in pictures like circles, triangles, and squares, my, my mind is always shaping something into a more simplified form. Um, maybe it's because I'm not bright and I can't handle complex things. So um, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a window of time that if we can mitigate any external stressor on the athlete that it will impact their performance on the field. And I found it. And it's the six hour window. There is a six hour window before competition that you want to really hold as sacred ground where, you know, um, in the practical application of this, you know, uh, Nick is let's say you're playing in a big basketball tournament. You're in the NBA. Well, what your significant other and what your family wouldn't do because we would, I would talk to them about this because I need to, again, environment and social, 
I'm, I'm very aware that that impacts performance. So I'm going to um, recruit the people around this athlete who's my client to help support the structures they need to be successful. And so everyone knows that there is no text message nowadays. Back then there was no texting, but there's no text message or phone call in that sacred six hour window. Nothing like, you know, so whatever unresolved fight that happened the night before, or even in the morning, we need to delay it. And um, that was part of the magic of wow. helping athletes <laughs> get into, again, because the whole purpose of what I'm trying to do, Nick, I mean, you picked up on it very early and you, know, you made sure to stop me, is the whole purpose of all this for anyone that's listening, whether we're using identity as a device to help is I, I just want you to get into the place where you are in complete flow and, and zone. So every single device, tactic, tool, strategy that we were employing, it had to lead towards that center of town, which is flow. Every street, avenue, back pathway, whatever, had to lead to there, not lead to whatever you think is your outcome or the goal that you have. So the gold medal on the podium. I'm like, I get that 100%. We need to know what that mm. result is, but the thing that's going to allow you to achieve it with greater um, consistency or rep repetition is how many times we can get you into this flow or at least dancing around it at the very least. No. Okay. And, and again, just for the people listening here, because a lot of people here are business people, right? And the context is still the same. I imagine like if I have to perform, be yep. that pitching for money, selling my company, the stuff, investment, you know, the private equity world that I came from, yeah, the, the principles remain the same. Absolutely. I mean, it is a flow is a, just like nature has its laws, flow can be applied to the human, flow can be applied to a team, and flow can be allied, um, uh, aligned to a business inside of a marketplace as well, where you, all of a sudden mm, okay. you just see a, a business that is, whether it's with profitability or with just growth, they found, they found the flow channel, they, they found it. And can you gain momentum from flow? Oh, you gain so much from it. Absolutely. Momentum. And, and what's really important for me is you gain enjoyment. Mm. And when you have someone who is private equity company, they're a business owner, they're an entrepreneur, they're a leader, they're a CEO. When you have someone who's enjoying what they're actually doing, and that's what I would actually cause people that are listening to pause is you don't think of enjoyment as a major metric to track when it comes to the output of someone's ambitions and their performance, but it is 100% linked because I have come across hundreds of athletes, hundreds of leaders, public figures, entertainers in Hollywood that I've worked with, business owners, entrepreneurs, that by all accounts on the outside looking in, successful outcomes, milestones hit, all that kind of stuff. But they... A, they don't own it. They don't feel it. They're not enjoying it every day. And so for us, our two governing metrics that we're at with our world is, yes, I want to help you hit milestones and outcomes. And I want you to be enjoying the process along the way, because when you've got someone who's enjoying what they're doing, that means they're on a treadmill custom built for them and they are impossible to beat. Intrinsically linked, and also there's a point of sustainability here. So anyone I imagine can have a little bit of success for a little bit of time, but if it's killing them, 
right? You know, I'm being again a bit dramatic. That's not sustainable. And it's funny, like if you ask me the question, you know, what do I get the most energy from, right? It's not looking at spreadsheets and, you know, getting into minutia of detail. You know, I like yeah. speaking on stages. I like, I like helping people achieve their goals. I like teaching, right? I like all that stuff. If you get me into the operational detail, I just, uh, right. I can mm -hmm. feel my energy sucked from me. And I kind of, I've learned that over time. The question I've got for you is, is once you understand what, what the triggers are for you to get into that flow state, can yeah. you do it on call? No, you okay. can't just do it on call. You can, the sort of the, now we're getting into the mindset, the mindset around it is I have set myself up for the highest likelihood of success. And now I'm inviting it in to find me. Okay. Um, and cause I've done, I've done my work. I've followed my routine. I've got the relaxed jar whatever. Um, I have a vision of maybe how I would like this game to go or this match to go or this presentation to go or whatever. And now there is, um, there is a attitude of giving up. And this is the third thing that I wanted to yeah. get to, um, of them is out of all of the, we were talking earlier about like how the, the focus for us is to help people get into that flow state. All right. Well, what is the like guardian at that gate to allow you to go into play in that playground? If you think of it that way. So yeah. if everything is about center of town and it's a target and like what, who, who stands at the gate of that? Um, well, there are two guards. One is the trust guard. If you don't trust yourself, if you don't trust your skills, if you don't trust your preparation, if you don't trust the plan that you have in place to attack the, um, the, the flags while you're racing with your skis at a hundred kilometers per hour down a sheer face of a cliff. If you don't trust all that stuff and your mind is a little bit activated and you're, you've got 1% or a micro percentage point of doubt or worry, that's where the edge of your ski catches some sort of small little, you know, puff of snow and you go careening off into the fences. Trust is critical. Trust yourself. And I would posit that a great majority of human beings don't actually have that relationship with themselves where they don't trust themselves. Can I share something quickly? I know you're going to go to a second point, but I think it's yeah. important just to say this. When I made a transition into what I do now from what I used to do, I used to work for the big private equity firms doing turnarounds and going mm -hmm. in and doing some pretty horrendous things when you look at it from the outside in. Um, I, I then changed that. I ended up going to a Tony Robbins event and uh, he does these different interventions yeah. And it's all very rah rah, as I'm sure you know. But um, yeah, I uh, there was one point where we went through this kind of meditative intervention, and I had this little voice inside. Never, this has never happened before. This little voice kept saying to me, "Trust yourself." Mm -hmm. Now it was really weird for me coming from that background into this environment, and I was trying to connect a little bit with sort of head and heart, right? Yeah, but it was incredibly powerful. Like it was out of my control, my my sort of sub my my conscious control. But those two words kept repeating, kept repeating, meaning actually now that I look back in hindsight, that what I was leaning into or starting to explore was what I was meant to go and do, mm -hmm. and I just needed mm -hmm. to back to your point around guardians. I needed to trust myself in that that journey.
So I just yeah. wanted to share that because I think it backs up nicely the point I think you're making here. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what an awesome experience to be able to get that. I mean, a mm, lot of times a gift. Get those, they get those whispers and they're not really paying attention to them because they think it's like, it's so, um, there's nothing to sink your teeth into around the idea. Well, what do you mean? Trust yourself. Well, you know, that's why I said like, you know, trusting your preparation for this moment, trusting. So there's kind of three phases of this, like when it comes to helping someone or anything perform and it, and it's based on, um, time, you know, there's past, there's future, and then there's present. Yeah. So when you look at your past, do have, can you trust the preparation that got you here? Trust the routines that got you that, like whatever that looked like for you. And then do you trust your plan that you have you, and, and what your, um, the strategy that you've got to go down the, the slope of this hill or to um, defeat the number one ranked team or to take the product to market or to go into the presentation? Do you trust that plan? Um, and then in the moment, then there's nothing left, but those two things uniting together past and future in that moment and say, you know, to your point, trust yourself. That's a, that's like a, a trigger phrase that, you know, what I would teach an athlete or anybody is, mm. do you have an anchor phrase that you can go to one, you know, the most common ones are, you know, um, trust, trust yourself. Another one is uh, let go. Another one is let go and let God, because some people, whether yep, depending on what your spirituality is or whatever, so let go and let God. Um, and that's just to give it up. Like, just give it up. Like, don't force it now. You've got here. You're in the moment. Like, what an achievement that is, that you're on the actual top of the mountain at the Olympics, about to point your skis down the hill. What a privilege and what a joy that is for you. Now, just like, let it go, man. Like, let it go. And the people who can commit to that, I mean, that's where a personal best that would shock someone gets to come out because you're allowing it now. It's like, okay, now the real performer gets to get out here. So that's, so that's the guardian trust. And then the second one is, which kind of leads then into why, what I became ultimately known for with the alter ego stuff um, became so powerful, which is an attitude of playfulness. Um, mm. Wow. That is the other major guardian that prevents and stops anyone from getting into that, you know, magical zone of, of flow. And now let's just break it down biologically. So between the, between the ages of six months and seven years of age, um, we, as humans, we need to learn a lot about how the world around us works. We need to walk. We need to ride a bike. We need to, you know, feed ourselves. We need to like not soil our diapers and all these kinds of things. There's a lot that you're learning. And, and most people, they just super underappreciate how much, how far they came through that phase. We just expect it to happen. Um, but instead, if you kind of honor that period of your life and you're like, man, I, I really did. And you might look around and say, well, everyone else figured it out. No, let's just isolate it to you. But that is a, a, a huge phase of, um, intellectual and emotional development. Okay. Well, I'm fascinated by that process that humans go through then. And, but structurally in the brain, there are essentially four main brainwave states that we're operating in. There's beta, which is, could be someone that's listening right now. And you're sort of judging and you're reasoning what, what I might be saying and, and what Nick is saying. So it's that, that sort of higher thinking power that's beta alpha 
is the brainwave states around sort of uh, creative focus. Um, you're really kind of focused in, you're working on a project, you're kind of close to losing track of time, but that's alpha. Theta is true flow state. That's where the flow state actually lives is in creative or in the theta brainwave states. And that's when you have access to um, all of your kind of creative superpowers. So you've got access to all the things that you might've learned. And that's why people who are in flow state, they're like their read and reaction times go up. One of the reasons behind that is because um, your eyes are start to flicker at about three times the rate of speed. So think of it like a, um, a lens on a camera. If you take a snapshot, well, if you're doing it while someone is running, the image becomes blurred, right? But if your eyes are capturing that at three times the rate of speed, when you take your photo, it's not blurry anymore. So because your brain is now processing three times more visual information, your brain's processing powers can keep up with that. So that's why when someone's in zone and flow state, they feel they say things like, man, I just feel like the game was slow. Well, so or, um, yeah, this is, so the physiology side of that. So let me just play this forward in my head so I get it. And then yeah. hopefully that will help, help everyone else get it. So Wait, are you saying are, that I'm not speaking clearly? No, no, I'm, I'm just, just saying, I'm just saying your brain is much bigger than my brain and, and I'm catching up. <laughs> 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 right. There we go. A bit, bit of, bit of, um, a bit of uh, humbleness and gratitude and all that. But anyway, Absolutely. the point, what I'm getting at here is if, if for whatever reason I've got stuff going on, I've had a fight, you know, you know I get on the court and I can't go down to the that level four, right? The theta, theta, was it that you said? Theta, that's level three. Delta is the last one. And that's really like meant for like sleep, basically. Okay, fine. So theta. So let's say, for example, I can't get down to that level where everything just slows down. The basket is big. The shot, I, you know, I, I don't have to think about it. And, you know, I could just throw stuff. I'm just using a basketball analogy because yeah. I love it. I could throw things like this. It doesn't matter. They're just going to go in. Boom, 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 yeah. boom. I've, I've kind of almost tapped into that, that part of how my brain works. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I got it. Like, I mean, how many times have you seen someone like, um, uh, uh, Steph Curry? I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan. We can't talk about this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah well, well I'll, I'll give you an analogy here again, to ground it for people. I played in a grand final recently, right? And I, I play. Okay. We, we talked before we press record, you know, I'm the old guy on the court. I got onto this grand final and I'd been doing quite a lot of meditation and quite a lot of stuff. And I put it down to this at the end, but you might have a different perspective. Got onto that court and I just played the game, probably, probably a game that I haven't played for 25, 30 years. Now I've been playing basketball since I was six and I'm now 48, right? Yeah. Turn up, score 27 points, you know, didn't miss a three pointer. We win the game. And that was my best game for the season by far. And I just felt like nothing could be missed. And everyone was yeah. like, where the hell did you come from? So that for me was, I was absolutely in a state there. I put it down to meditation. So breaking that down then, yeah. if you feel like you can't miss anything, what's that ultimately saying about you? You trust everything that's coming off your fingertips. It's yeah. a trust thing, right? And it compounded over time as well. Because as soon as I hit a few shots yeah. and then all of a sudden it was boom. Momentum yeah. thing. I just, I didn't think, I just put up stuff and it just went in. The classic, if there was a, if, if you were in the NBA jam game from Nintendo, that. he's on fire, 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 fire. I just had, um, I just had to jump in because you mentioned Seth Curry. So I had to put myself next to that name, even for a split second. <laughs> but so, so going to that, it's like when you're in that mode, like, I mean, he's just throwing up shots where you're like, how is this thing even going in? He's, you know, whether he's caught in flow state or he just hyper trusts everything that he, either way, it's helping him to perform and get that result. Right. 
So, but going back to that, um, the kids, so between the age of six months and seven years of age, they're called in the theta brainwave state. Okay, well, the theta brainwave state is literally the zone. Um, and, and so, but they need to be in that zone because they need to be sponges in order for them to come out of that childhood era equipped to handle the next phase of life um, because they've built up skills and, you know, associations and they kind of learned what the world is like around them and stuff. Um, but also when you take a look at uh, that age, there is, they have no concept of identity. Mm, okay. Kids at that age don't know me. They, they're, they're, they are literally just a free flowing being. That's why they can more easily play with I'm Superman one second with the um, tea towel around my neck, or I'm Black Panther, or I'm going to go play house or restaurant with my sister, which is something I played with my little sister. She's younger than me. And we played banker and we played teacher. And and so we're playing these roles. And the reason that we're playing these roles as well from a developmental standpoint is it allows us to learn what we can do, what we're capable of, allows us to explore um, things that work. And then we, we go and we explore one thing. We're like, oh, I don't like that. So then we, we don't do that anymore. And we start to index towards the things that we do like. So I built up an identity then after seven of I'm a sports guy and I lived through that identity then. Um, and then the challenge for anyone who's raising young kids is that, you know, I used to do it and I've got three little ones. They look at kids that are two years, three years older than them. And they're like, they're like such heroes and like, oh, they can do that and all that. But those kids don't have it all figured out at all. And also after the age of seven, because that frontal lobe starts to really develop the reasoning and the judgment skills, um, you start to judge the stuff that you used to do at seven, five and three as being childish. So you're forming, so, so you're effectively forming an identity based on those things and those experiences at that time. So if you and have- you're also, sorry, you're also forming opinions that the things that you did, which actually were successful for you, are wrong. Because even parents say, come on, grow up, right? right. They're in, parents are intimidated by a 12-year-old who's still playing, you know, dress up Dungeons and Dragons, and they complain to their friends like, well, he's just weird or whatever. And it's like, you know what? You're the weird one because you've lost connection to this playful side of us, which is an actual activator. Because again, at the end of the day, helping someone perform to their capabilities. If you don't have an attitude of playfulness, that means your ego is massively over-indexing. You're taking yourself way too seriously as if you think you have it all figured out. But I pause it to people and I ask and, and to the listener right now, do you really know everything about what you're capable of? And here's the answer, because I'll give you a short form one on this. The answer is absolutely no. No one does. So if that's the case, if that's the truth, wouldn't you want to maybe start to employ and play with identity as a device and a mechanism to help you see and explore what else you're made of? And so saying all that is fine. And that's why I always struggled with the world of personal development, self-help and leadership books, because they make all these grand statements, just do it you know, use identity as whatever, but they have no tool because most people haven't actually spent time on the field of play as a practitioner, working with people. 
they read books, they regurgitate them, and then they package them up so that they can build some sort of, you know, um, authority for themselves. And I'm just really good at identifying who those people are. And I don't pay attention to them because there's no nuance in it. I've got 19,000 hours, Nick, coaching just one-on-one. So I'm conscious you. that we haven't got a lot of time left. And it's one yeah, of those, no, it's one of those, it. it's one of those it. unfortunate conversations whereby I could sit here and talk forever about this. Cause this is, you know, you know how things like time just passes, right? I kind of want to talk about this whole idea of, you know, you can only scale. Cause I talk about scaling businesses, as you know, scaling yeah. a business to the level of your identity. You've started to unpack that, I suppose. And I don't want to dumb this down because I think there's yeah. more to it. And certainly it's covered in the book, but if someone wants to explore this concept or this idea of, and particularly the playfulness piece and the identity, yeah. where do they start with that? Because I love the idea that it needs to be something that you probably experience. You said, get on the field and play it as opposed yeah. to being theoretical about it. So um, yeah, I mean, in the Ultra Effect book, I unpack kind of that whole method. So there's the effect, which is I discovered that, wow, alter egos are actually an extremely powerful way to, um, to develop yourself. It's counterintuitive. To, to people. Then I get into the actual method that, that I've used and, and talk about. The we're, book, it's but, okay to say, buy the book. We can say that here. I don't mind. Yeah. 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 Well, of course. I <laughs> For mean, the method, gonna, we're not going to have time, but at some point, sometime. Well, exactly. I'm not done you know, until if, you, if you write a book, you, people have the book. Yeah, exactly. Buy the book. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go and listen to the audio book now. Cause like, I'm thinking where, where <laughs> there's something this, yeah. you've unlocked a few different thoughts in my head in the last 45 minutes, but this, so, so to your point yeah. with that then is one place to start to be playful with it is again, outside in. I like using environment. So I talk about the importance in the book. And, and I also talk about like the psychological switches that it's actually flicking in your brain when you use this stuff is start with um, totems, artifacts, or uniforms. As in, so, as in things that you can what touch and feel and connect with. Hold, you can either hold it, you can have it on you mm. or you're wearing it. So for me, you know, when I built out my second alter ego, which was um, really for business, because I was, you know, yes, I had all these clients that were coming in, but I mean, I was super cheap. And, um, uh, but when it came to me building the business, I was just facing so much internal resistance because I was concerned about rejection and, you know, um, all, all kind of stuff around that. But like, basically there's just a big resistance around me promoting myself in this, in this little fledgling one person shop that I had going on. And um, well, when you start a business and you don't promote it, well, you know, best of luck with that. So I remembered my alter ego that I used in sport. And I said, like, wait a second, why can't I just use the same thing here? And so I built out Super Richard and Super Richard. My first name's actually Richard. I've always gone by Todd. And Super Richard was a composite of Superman, Joseph Campbell, and Benjamin Franklin, three of my heroes, people that I cared and have a very much uh, a strong personal connection with. And I was taking kind of traits and characteristics of each of them and creating Super Richard as this alter ego. And then I went to um, Lens Crafters, which was a big, you know, um, eyeglass store at West Edmonton Mall. And I was living in Edmonton, Alberta at the time. And I went in and asked for a pair of non-prescription glasses. And this is 97. This is long before wearing glasses was like a fashion thing. People were getting LASIK. And the optometrist was like, but you don't need glasses. You've got 2015 vision. And I'm like, can I just get a pair of glasses? And I was going to do the um, reverse Superman or Superman put on glasses to become Clark Kent. I was putting them on to adopt the characteristics and traits of my heroes. And so I had this now uniform. And when I put them on, I was now going to adopt that characteristic of Super Richard. 
one of the reasons I used glasses was because I was, I, I was 21 at the time. I looked like I was 12, you know, baby face and all that. And so I thought the glasses would at least make me look more sophisticated and smart because I didn't have seven degrees. I didn't have a bunch of letters behind my name. I didn't have three best-selling books. All these stupid rules I had in my head about you know, how people were going to judge whether or not I had the authority to even talk about this subject matter. And But when I put that on, Super Richard never had those thoughts. And Super Richard became the advocate for Todd's stuff. That, that's key. because So when, you're, really, when you're talking to me now, yeah, who are you? I'm Super Richard, 100%. Okay, in terms of the identity that you're associating with. The very specific identity that I have built to help me wow. navigate my business world and who I am intentionally showing up as so that I can impact the most possible people. Um, I have a very specific self that I have built to perform on this field of play. Got it. Because all of totally, us are performing. Totally, totally get it. Yeah. Totally get it. And, and when you're working with your clients, be that, you know, sports superstars, business superstars, you, this approach is what you coach and suggest. Exactly. This, oh, and there's no fucking suggestion, man. You're doing it because like identity it. beyond environment, your identity is one of the greatest influencers on your ability to perform because identity is where you stack on attitudes, beliefs, habits. And so a lot of people want to talk about the importance of habits. That's table stakes, man. Well, that's know, why I didn't want to elite, ask you about it. <laughs> <laughs> they play with the elite play with um, identity better than anyone else um, do. And then they end up getting far different results. So can I just round this off though? You may. I know we got, we're short on time. I just want to round short on time. You're going to round it off and then I'm going to say one last thing and then you can jump on your plane. Yeah. Round it off. Okay. So now think about that. Like all of us, people that are listening to this right now, you spend a lot of hours in your day flexing the same identity muscle, whoever you're showing up as in business. But is that really you? So for me, for example, Super Richard's here. I know exactly who I am in this moment. I know exactly the characteristics and traits that I want to deliver so that I can impact the, impact the people that I want to impact. But is that me? Is that all of me? No, it's not. That's not all of me. It'd be very easy for me to believe that that's me. And that's why when people, when they get home, they say things like, you know what? I just have a hard time turning it off. Okay. Well, that's a sign that you have not custom built identities. There's no such thing as a single identity. Um, we all have many roles that we play in life. Now it's just how good are you at custom building the you that you want to show up to help you win in that area? So when I leave this office and I'm around my kids, I never wear my glasses around my kids. And I have outside my door, cause I have a ritual rituals are extreme. We can't even get into that, but rituals are extremely important to, um, peak performance. And so a ritual is when a routine or a habit meets story and meaning. That's the key just as a, as a lay description. So it's on my door, there's a hook. And on that hook is a bracelet. It has MSC, Molly, Sophie, Charlie, has my wife's name, Valerie on it. And it has only love, little beads that my two girls made for me. And I put that on. And then the version of me that shows up around my kids is inspired by Mr. Rogers and my dad, their traits, because I can't think of a better person to be around my kids than loving, patient, kind, caring, and fun all characteristics and traits that I see Mr. Rogers and my dad having. And so then because of the methodology that I have around building this alter ego, what I'm doing in that moment is I'm honoring them in that moment. And when I have that bracelet on, and if I find myself getting angry or short or whatever, I take it off. It's my routine for me to remember, no, 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 Todd, you intentionally sat down and you created who you want to be for these kids. So take it off and put it back on. It's the cape coming off and then it's the cape coming back on kind of thing. 
So God damn. That's only one example of when you said the question, hey, how can someone be more playful? Totems, artifacts, uniforms. And we've only touched the surface, I, I sense, of this conversation. Listen, yeah. um, you know, and I'm going to say this, I've had, you know, many of many an interesting person on this show, right? Um, I don't think I've had anyone ever explain identity and, you know, how you show up uh, underpinned by performance in that. Ex- I've never heard that before, any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've read lots of books, right? Yeah. That's incredible. Well, that's great to hear. Um, and I'm not hopefully. a bullshitter, right? We already established yeah. the fact that if I thought it was crap, I'd probably say, right? But I'm like, whoa, that's a different, that's a different, a whole different way of thinking about this stuff. So now I, now I totally understand why you have had the success that you've had. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, I love it. Like I, I, and the great thing is, is, you know, we as human beings, we always act through whatever we associate ourselves with. So our identity shapes our reality. And when you start associating yourself with something different, a different idea for me, Mr. Rogers, when I associated with that idea Mm -hmm. of becoming more like him, all that other friction goes away because I've aligned myself to something that is going to help me actually achieve what I want out there. Um, so it's, it's, it's very, yeah. and it's also, I think, you know, again, people can get it and I certainly understand it because the way yeah. you've explained it is very accessible as well. So cool. I'll finish off by saying, you know, we talk a lot about identity on this show and we talk about scaling up and a lot of that is about scaling up your identity. But what you've said today is about the dimensionality of that, which has been brilliant. Yeah. So last question really, cause I know you've got to go, where can people reach out? And obviously the book is amazing. The alter ego effect. I've had a quick look at it. I'm going to go and listen to some more now and look at the practicalities of it. <laughs> um, so the book's amazing, but where can people reach out? So if they want to get some more. Um, yeah. So my, them? my home base on the interwebs is toddherman.me and sort of links to like my world and the different, you know, programs or, you know, um, businesses that I'm involved in are all right there and then links to my social channel. So, you know, if you got, I love it when people, when they, when they hear me on a podcast like this, especially with your crew, if you ping me on, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or um, Instagram, Todd underscore Herman is pretty much most of my handles out there. Ping me and just say whatever your favorite takeaway was. So, just so I can close the feedback loop. Awesome. Well, listen, Todd, it's been a pleasure, mate. I've enjoyed this conversation. The time yeah. has flown Likewise. by. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. Cheers. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.